Welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. I am your host, Avdi Grimm, and joining me today is a friend of mine, Nick Gauthier. Nick, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Avdi. Hello, Internet. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a freelance web developer. I um, kind of do the whole front-to-back HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Rails, database stuff, and uh, I've been doing that for about a year now. I've been freelance, and before that, I was doing some uh, web development consulting and then working at a web startup. So I've pretty much been doing web my entire professional career. What is your obsession with the web, so, man? Love that web. Yeah. <laughs> really, I just kind of ended up in it uh, based on the people that I knew and where I was after I graduated, and uh, really stuck, and I really enjoy it. So, uh, you know, this is where I am. I think it's just a big fad, but, uh, yeah, but, well, we'll see. <laughs> so, um, all right. So you're, you're doing the independent consultant thing, right? Yeah, um, that's right. And so you are, you are remote in the sense that you are remote from your clients, right? Uh, yes. And it's my, my clients and sometimes also my teammates because sometimes, you know, the client will hire a couple people to work on it mm-hmm. or there's already an existing team and I'm coming in to help them out. Okay. So I'm very often dispersed just because of my location and because I'm a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And is it typically like um, if they already have a team, are they? is it typically an on-site team and then you're sort of coming in from outside or is it they already have people all over the place? Uh, I have yet to work. Well, I guess that's not true. There's one team that I've worked on where it was already dispersed. And uh, it's actually my dad's company. He kind of runs a um, uh, a web company and has a lot of freelancers as part of his team and so he uses a lot of different people for a lot of different jobs and so i've worked on some projects for him and uh he's got people in a lot of different places um but for the most part i'm working with either a client that's a single person Mm -hmm. and so the two of us are dispersed from each other usually uh or i'm working on a team that already exists somewhere they have an office and i'm either going to that office if it's a baltimore company uh, which is where i'm at or um, I'm remoting in. Okay. Has that been a, a hard sell, or is that pretty easy these days? Has that been a hard what? A hard sell, or is that pretty easy these days? Saying, look, I'm just I'm not going to be on site. I think it's it's been pretty easy so far. I mean, it's uh it's easy because everybody assumes that there are never going to be any issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always like, yeah, we'll get this guy remote. You know, he'll hang in in our chat room, and we'll send emails, and we'll Skype if we have to, and then. It'll either come down to it working well or not working well just based on how um, how the team can handle having a distributed person if there is one. So It seems like that can be tough. I mean, you know, it, there's there's usually a little bit of tension when somebody brings in um, – or there's often ten- tension when somebody brings in a consultant anyway. And and when you talk about, um, you know, well, this guy's going to be hanging out in the, in the chat room, but, but, you know, he's not around not around the office for us to throw rocks at him. Yeah, right, right. Um, um, and from what I've seen just, just working in that uh, style is that um, you really have to portray yourself as 
someone who is there for the, for everyone's use. Mm-hmm. So you're having a problem with something, come and get me, you know, on the internet, mm-hmm. and I will come and help you out with something. How do um, you make it clear that you're there for them? You know, usually it's just part of the introduction process when they're kind of like, hey, here's this guy. He's going to be working on our team. And then everyone's like, all right, cool. This is what he's going to be doing. And usually, like, I've had one person on the team who's kind of like my buddy, mm-hmm. you know? I, I mean that like uh, like uh, like the buddy system, scuba diving buddy sort of thing. So it's like, that's my contact. This is my guy. I'm mostly going to be working with him. If somebody else needs me, then... I'll chat with them, but it's kind of like I'm always working with this one contact on a specific problem that that person's been working on. Okay. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm ever thrown into the pot of like a half dozen people and I'm expected to just become one with the team. Mm. Um, that did happen one time and it was kind of rough and I pretty much did what uh, they had wanted me to do and then uh, we stopped. Uh, it was just kind of obvious that it was a little bit rough and it wasn't uh, uh, particularly useful. Mm-hmm. So um, you're you're working, let's see, you're working from home, right? Uh, most of the time, yeah. I have an office, but everybody there makes fun of me because I never show up. And then when <laughs> I do show up, it's from like 10 to 2. And then they'll be like, whoa, Nick, four hours, you put in a long day today. So um, when you say you have an office and there are other people there, those are, is this like a co-working space or what? Uh, oh, yeah. So um, there's a Baltimore company called Figure 53. They make software for theaters, so audio software and ticketing software and they have an office, and I'm friends with a bunch of them from uh, being in Baltimore and working over the years. And so they had an extra room, and I've been just uh, leasing it from them. So oh, nice. it's not a not a big co-working space. So I kind of know everybody there. I'm not really going to get surprised by anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty much um, the way I have it set up right now. It's just like a docking station. So mm-hmm. I bring my laptop, plug it into the keyboard, mouse, monitor, and uh, and work from there. But most of the time I work at home. Um, I have a really nice setup here. This is where the majority of my investment into computer technology and stuff goes. So I have just everything that I like right here set up at home. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really just very comfortable in my home. I don't have any distractions here aside from myself. So there's no, you know, kids. Um, there's a loud cat, but she sleeps most of the time. So I don't see her around right now. Maybe she'll come interrupt us later. But yeah, for the most part, I'm at home. Uh, that's where I'm comfortable working. So before you started the freelancer thing, you were um, taking like regular, you know, going to the office type jobs, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, I, for um, for four years, I was working nine to fives in offices Monday to Friday. So. So was it? Um, I want to go. I want to be a freelancer, and I'll I'll deal with the. I'll deal with the isolation that entails, or was it I want to be working from somewhere other than, than, than an office, so I'm going to go be a freelancer? So it was I don't know what I want to really be doing, so I'm going to go be a freelancer because I can do that while I try to figure out what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And then whatever it takes for me to be a freelancer, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do what it takes, basically. And so I already knew that I am perfectly happy working by myself in a quiet environment without contact with a lot of people. Um, I'm okay with that. I don't go mm-hmm. too crazy. Um, so getting out once every week or two and uh, and working in another atmosphere is enough for me. 
Um, so I'll go and kind of crash either, you know, I'll go to my office or I'll crash other people's offices or co-working spaces and just, uh, get my social time in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the, most, I think most of our listeners are, um, developers. So, um, you mentioned that you've, you've got most of your in, investment in hardware and, and office setup at home. And, and from, from my recollection of talking to you before, you've got kind of an interesting setup. Do you want to talk a, a little bit about your, um, software and hardware setup? Sure. So, um, I've been using Linux for, uh, I guess a decade. I used it a little bit in high school, mostly just kind of playing around. I never really did anything productive with it. Um, in college, when I started, uh, when I was doing a computer science major, I would flip flop between Windows and Linux. I mean, a lot of the time, all you needed was Eclipse and uh, Java runtime and Sigwin, and uh, you could do all the homework assignments. But then I started running Linux. Um, it was a lot easier to set up all the code dependencies, mm-hmm. and it was also you had to run your stuff on the school servers, and that was the environment in which your code would be run. And so I could set up a much closer environment to the school servers on a Linux box because that's what they were running. Mm-hmm. So I'd already been building my own machines in high school because I was uh, really into, and still am, into uh, PC games. So the best bang for your buck is always building your own so- uh, hardware. So, yeah, since working, I've always built my own machines. So my home machine is also custom built, all the parts off of Newegg. I pretty much waited for the Ivy Bridge Core i7s to come out uh, last summer because mm-hmm. that's pretty much the top of the line CPU right now and just bought the best CPU. Threw in uh, solid state, 16 gigs of RAM, and then I have a two $300 video card in there for games. And then uh, I, this is the first time I actually tried it out, but I bought a little water cooling block for the, um, the CPU. Oh, wow. And so this thing runs at 4 gigahertz, and it turbo boosts to 4.7. Nice. Um, and, uh, and I've got a 30-inch uh, display. Nice. So, yeah, it's it's pretty much like just the best computer I've ever had for work and for uh, for games. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, it just wouldn't make sense for me to have another one of these at work. You know? Right. That's um, interesting. I don't talk to a lot of people anymore that have that even use a desktop machine for development. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I went back and forth with laptops, and I I really, really uh, like laptops, and I'm very interested in them. And uh, my wife always makes fun of me because she says that I just, like, I flip laptops. Like, I'll buy them, sell them on Craigslist, buy another one, sell <laughs> buy, sell, buy, sell. And I'll go through a couple of them in a year. And uh, But at the same time, I'm never really satisfied mm-hmm. with laptops. Um, and I also honestly don't work in that many places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just work at home or before I used to work at home and work in an office. And then I did have redundant computers. I had my gaming desktop at home and then I had my workstation at work. Right. And I didn't work anywhere else. So you can get so much more bang for your buck. I mean, the, the system I just described is, um, aside from the monitor, you could get a much cheaper monitor is a sub thousand dollar system. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, so I mean, Bang for your buck. That's how you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, on the on the rare occasion that you do travel around a bit, do you um, do you work remotely on your on a laptop, or do you actually SSH into your uh, desktop? Uh, I don't SSH. Um, I uh, I do like the GUI equivalent of editors and terminals and that sort of thing. I've never been that much into Tmux or screens, so that would be a little bit. I mean, I know how to use them, but uh, I'm not great with them. Um, so that would be a little bit 
uh, weird. Plus, you know, you never know what internet you're going to have. It's kind of frustrating. So I do have a laptop. Um, I've got a MacBook Air, mm-hmm. and uh, I do run OS X on it. A um, couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is for testing. It's great to have an, all three operating systems available to me. Sure. The other one is to make sure that I can support other developers who are on OS X because, uh, I mean, I don't want to be that guy who's like, well, it works in Linux. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> right. So knowing how to set things up on OS X is helpful and being able to run the test suite on OS X, that sort of thing is pretty useful. Plus, they do have really good screencasting software, and um, I do screencasts kind of as part of my workflow with clients. So I'll often do a little demo screencast, and sometimes I'll swap over to the Mac just to make a better screencast. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. How do you use screencasts for your clients? Sure. So um, I have a really tight feedback loop with my clients, and that kind of comes down to the fact that I only do hourly billing. I don't do any project-based bids or anything like that, no fixed price. Um, So... To kind of ease the tension in that sort of relationship, I um, send the client updates and I bill them very, very frequently. So it's never like, hey, here's Nick. He's going to go off into nowhere for three months and then come back with a giant bill and a piece of software that hopefully we'll like. <laughs> so every day that I work for a client, I will send them an email at the end of the day and kind of summarize what I did. And I like to be able to show them what I did as well. I mean, if you've got nothing to really show, but you can talk about it, you know, who knows what you've actually done. So mm-hmm. I like to, um, if it's, uh, if the client is like comfortable with the software and the software is simple or they know the area in which I'm working, I'll just post them a link and tell them about what I did. But, uh, sometimes those changes can be kind of subtle. Like, well, now when you sign up, but you don't have a pro account yet and you're trying to add a pro account and you swap to using a Visa card, then this error message appropriately says Visa card. You know, when that sort of situation crops up, I'll just take a screencast and say, you know, it'll it'll sound like this podcast. It's like, hey guys, I've been working on uh, such and such today, and I made these changes. You can see here when I click here and click over there that this happens. And now this doesn't crash anymore, and this section is much faster. And then I'll um, send that over to them, compress it real quick. Usually ends up being five minutes or less. And uh, it's just a really nice way for a client to see what I've done, especially because, you know, a lot of times you're checking on a mobile device and you're not about to go and test an application on your phone while you're getting some coffee. And so people are often pretty happy to just pull out their phone or their iPad or something, watch me spin through the app real quick and uh, and see what I've done. So I find it just uh, and the feedback I get is great. Everybody loves getting the screencast. It's so much easier than reading through a developer's notes that might be kind of loaded with some domain knowledge. And so it's it's a really simple way to uh, give that feedback. That's really cool. Um, and you know, I've I've done that on occasion in the past with some clients, and I've had the same kind of response. It usually uh, goes over really well. I'm curious, since you're so used to screencasting, uh, if you're working with some other people remotely and like another developer is having trouble with the concept or with with getting something working do you ever just like say here let me do a five minute screen check screencast that shows how to do it no i haven't done that yet okay uh what i tend to do is just do like a skype screen share okay and then they show me what's happening and then i say type this in instead and then there are a couple clients i've had where my role was they would remote into me to just watch my screen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they would also have like their intern hop on. Mm-hmm. And then I would fix their software kind of like live. Okay. Uh, and they would just be watching and chatting and saying, Oh, actually, don't we want to do this? And 
the intern's kind of watching as I go through and correct some of his code and show some best practices. And mm-hmm. um, there was one time I had like six people all hooked up on VNC and Skype, and we were having this conference call, and I worked for like three hours just like fixing stuff and showing them neat ways to do things, and it was pretty cool. It was also a little stressful. Um, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, um, but you know it. It went well, and, and you just have to be really honest. Sometimes you're just like, wow, I have no idea why this is working, and we've been hitting the same keys for 15 minutes, and I, I don't know what's going on. I'm right. sorry. you know. And then that makes it a lot easier. But if you're trying to be like, I am so awesome, and I can totally do this, and I can do any problem you throw at me, then you're just setting yourself up to look stupid. So uh, I'm kind of curious, one Linux user to another, do you ever run into software compatibility issues or tooling issues? Like, you know, we use GoToMeeting for our for our pair programming or, you know, for our meetings? No, I, I, I haven't yet. I mean, I don't, I would say that probably only about a quarter of my clients I'm actively working on an established team remotely. Okay. Um, I think most of the time I'm working with non-technical members remotely. And so we'll just do like a Skype call or emails suffice or, and you can pretty much set the terms of, of this, the technology. Yeah. yeah. For I mean, those. people generally don't really mind if, if you swap over to Skype or something, I haven't worked right. in a large enough scenario where they had very prescribed ways of doing things. So mm-hmm. that, uh, that hasn't been trouble. I mean, I have all three OSs at home. So they say, let's use go to meeting. I say, give me two minutes. I'm going to reboot to windows. Gotcha. Okay. So if they ask me to write code and be in the meeting at the same time, then maybe I pull out my laptop, but hasn't happened. I guess with 16 gigs of Ram, you could theoretically just run all OSs at the same time in virtual machines. Yeah, I have, a, I have a pretty neat screenshot of that, actually. I had um, a Linux box that was also running a CentOS VM, because that's what was on production, and it also had Windows XP going, and it also had a, uh unsanctioned OSX VM running. Nice. Um, and so I always wanted I had, to try to get that working. Like, uh, it's, it's so crazy. If you think Macs are hard enough to set up with a developing environment, try setting them up in a VM that's not sanctioned by... <laughs> It's you pretty much have to. The only way you can do it is by, like, grabbing VM images p- other people have built. And I mean, the legality of that is really sketch because yes, I own a Mac. Yes, I have a license to the operating system, but I don't think they allow virtual licenses unless you're using like the server. And so, I mean, right. I was really just doing it for kicks to see if it would work. I don't actually do any development or anything on that. So mm-hmm. please don't sue me, Apple. <laughs> So, um, do you have any like general tips for somebody who's who might be considering uh, making the same kind of jump that you did uh, from going into an office nine to five to being a remote consultant? So, I guess the the two sides of that that I see as being the the tricky parts. There's the psychological side. So, can you actually work a full work week without talking to anybody during the middle of the day? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're going to have to do that some weeks. And for me, I find that to be relaxing and productive. So it's actually a benefit. It's like when you take those uh, personality type quizzes and they kind of ask you, like, when you're around other people, do you feel energized or tired? If your answer is tired, then you'll probably do well by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, It's that introvert side of things. And so you just want to make sure that you aren't uh, – that you're not going to be uh, – interpersonally deprived in that way or socially deprived. And the other side of it is the um, the business side of things. When I started freelancing, I had enough of a reputation nationally and even a bit internationally that 
finding business has never been uh, very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's enough people that know me from the Recipes with Backbone book or from speaking on Ruby and Rails. They can read my technical blog. You know, I've hit Hacker News a few times. I mean, I chat with people a lot on Twitter. Um, So I, I, I know enough people that I can get that business. If you're an employee at an existing company and you haven't pushed yourself into the community, if you're if you're a follower and you're not posting a lot of your own content and sharing so people get to know you and you build a reputation, that can be pretty difficult. It probably won't be hard to grab the um like the Odesk jobs or grabbing the um like lower rate freelancing stuff. So mm-hmm. if you know somebody like me, I'm happy to pass you jobs when I have a bit too much or if there's someone who uh, balks at my hourly rate and I can pass them to somebody else who is willing to charge less because they don't have the reputation but they still do good work, Mm -hmm. um, that works. But without building a reputation in the community, it's kind of hard to justify um, a higher rate. And so what might happen is uh, you're going to be working – you're going to have to bill 30 hours a week and also be networking, putting yourself out there. Um, and so you could end up working uh, harder than you did before. Yes. Uh, when yeah. you were expecting to have a nice, easy coasting job of sitting at home and petting your cat and watching YouTube for half the day. So that's something that you definitely need to recognize and think about when you're when you're thinking about going freelance. Yeah. Yeah, actually, and that's probably a whole other conversation, interesting conversation we could have. But this is not the Ruby Freelancers podcast, so <laughs> yep. So um, probably shouldn't get too far into that. Um, however, uh, one thing I do want to get into before uh, we wrap things up is uh, your book projects. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I guess it was at the very, very end of 2011, the kind of the last quarter. Um, I worked with Chris Strom on Recipes with Backbone. Which was a uh, short ebook with about I think there's 12 to 15 um, great design patterns for Backbone JS and uh, I wanted to write the book I had a lot of material for it but I wasn't really sure what I was doing as far as ebook publishing and all that stuff goes but Chris Strom definitely does and so he helped me co-author it and uh, that went really well um, last year while I was freelancing it was nice to have that um, supplementary income. Uh, to give me a little bit of a boost. And um, in the fall of uh, 2012, I worked with a local Baltimore company called LocalUp to build their mobile website. And it's a, it's food, it's a food ordering site. And we did it in Backbone.js. And it was such an awesome project. Uh, they had a really smart technical team. And uh, there were just so many great things that kind of came out of that. Um, that I was just like halfway through, I was like, I, I need to write a book on all these cool things, you know, or I have to package them up somehow. And so I ended up with, um, uh, another dozen design patterns for Backbone JS that I really liked. And so I've been, uh, writing that up as, um, mobile, uh, web applications with Backbone JS. Um, uh, I think that's the title. I keep changing the <laughs> title around and, uh, it's drafted. Um, it's technically complete and, all the patterns are, are running, and the really interesting thing about the book is that it's um, it's TDD'd in CoffeeScript. So every chapter is actually like, here's the test, here's what mm-hmm. we want, how, here's how we want this part of our application to behave, written in CoffeeScript. 
Now, how do we make it pass? Okay, now here's another test. Let's expand the functionality and then make it pass again. So it was really cool to write the book like that. And uh, the main issue right now is that it doesn't have as strong a mobile focus as I was anticipating and as I wanted. It turns out that the patterns that we used for mobile were just good patterns in general. So I'm kind of struggling with making it more of a mobile book Hmm. or deciding that it's not a mobile book and retitling it. (laughs) So I kind of have to figure out how I want to really package it up and say, here's what you're uh, make sure the expectations are right for my readers because mm-hmm. if they buy a mobile book and it doesn't really talk about mobile stuff, then they'll probably, they'll probably get a little upset and feel a little betrayed. So I want to make sure I set that up right. You should probably include the keyword web 3.0 in there somewhere. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, it's definitely like the, the title as it was now, I was like, man, this is just Google bait. Like all I did was <laughs> put in all the best Google words. It's like mobile web application backbone JS. I should have just thrown free iPad at the end. <laughs> I would buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably buy it too. Yeah, so I mean, it's really it's it's done. It's out for technical review. A couple of my technical reviewers came back and said this really isn't that much of a mobile book. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was kind of feeling that too. So we're working on it, but uh, it should be coming out in the next month or two, um, depending on where I decide to go with it. So. Um, waiting for some more technical reviewers to get back, waiting for my editor to get back to me and uh, kind of sort it out. Very cool. Well, Nick, thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thanks, Avdi. And that is our show today. To subscribe to the show if you haven't already or to check out more interviews with remote workers, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store where reviews are always very welcome. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Bouquet. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm, signing off. Wild, 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 wild,